Would you like your heavy networking skills to be even heavier? IT Pro TV is sponsoring today's episode, and they're offering a seven-day free trial and a 30% discount off of any of their online IT training plans. Visit itpro.tv slash packetpushers and use promo code packetpushers at checkout. Hey, would you consider an open source network operating system for your data center? Sonic, backed by sponsor Dell Technologies, is worth investigating. Automate effectively, monitor deep telemetry, and enjoy excellent support from Dell's global organization. Visit PacketPushers.net slash DellSonic to find out more. PacketPushers.net slash DellSonic. Today on Heavy Networking, Network Modeling. Oh, you mean like GNS3, Ethan? No, not like GNS3. Rather, we're covering PyNTM, an open source network modeling tool with creator Tim Fayola. Tim will explain what network modeling is and how you can use his tool to help you make wide area network design decisions and avoid costly mistakes. So hopefully that's interesting to you because it was interesting to me when I first read about this project, Tim, on uh, on your APNIC. I think it was an APNIC blog. It was ripe. It was an APNIC guest, yes. guest blog. So yeah, uh, I first read about this and then you popped up in my inbox. So uh, so before we get into Pi NTM, Tim, tell us who you are and, uh, and what do you do? Thank you for having me on today. Um, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I would describe myself as a network uh, modeling and automation enthusiast. Fair enough. Automation and network modeling enthusiast. So I want to level set then by explain to me the difference, like what, what is network simulation? What is network modeling? And how is that different from the GNS3 I mentioned at the top of the show, which I guess I would categorize as, as virtualized labs? Because in my mind, initially, when I was reading your blog post, it's like, oh, this is all the same thing. But, but it isn't. There's actually these are really different things. Big difference. And to be honest, I've never used GNS3, but I know people who have. So a lot of this, I'll be going from their descriptions. But uh, in a virtualized lab environment, that's where someone can train on configuring specific device running a specific operating system like Cisco iOS or Juniper OS or whatever. You're configuring interfaces. You're configuring network services, et cetera. You're configuring a network at the CLI. Network modeling is different. A network model is an abstraction of an entire wide area network. Um, it includes the topology and the traffic matrix. So a simulation results from converging that network model. So the simulation is where you actually apply the traffic matrix to the, to the topology yeah. to see how the real network would carry the load. That is a simulation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The model is this is this is what the network's like. Now I'm gonna I'm, apply some numbers to it to see how it's going to react, and that's the simulation. Exactly, exactly. So going back to the GNS3 thing, this is all different from GNS3 in that with GNS3, I'm I'm running a virtual router that's got a network operating system and actual code, and yeah. I can stand up configurations and stuff. And that's that's a different animal. I'm actually. Uh, doing a, a virtualized version of a physical uh, network, uh, um, um, the, a model that you're talking about with its simulation is more like a built-for-purpose understanding of how traffic is going to react, but it's not network operating systems and such. It's more like math and, and, and some path computations. Yeah, absolutely. On, in the network model, the layer three node, the router, is just a dot. It's a node in the simulation. Yeah. It's got no OS or anything. The modeling engine is what will actually route the traffic across that network. Mm -hmm. The nodes are just where where the uh, circuits come together on the map. Right. So, so we're helping. To, we're uh, we're not studying with a with a network model configuration stanzas. We're just kind of yeah. assuming Not that this has been built and configured and we know how this behaves. And, and with that understanding, we can run a much simpler um, set of code, if you will, to because uh, what we really want to figure out is, yeah. ah, I'm going to move, move in some traffic around. And in a network that's built like this and behaves in this way that I understand and, and can make a lot of assumptions about what's going to happen. What's uh, going to happen? That's, that is the million dollar question yeah. here. Okay, well then, w what is going to happen? I think uh, Pi NTM is um, one of the answers to how we would understand uh, how that's going to happen. So you've created this thing, Pi NTM. T tell us what this thing is, Tim. Pi NTM stands for Python Network Traffic Modeler. It's a network modeling engine. So 
what the solution does is it allows you to, to define a wide area network topology and also define a traffic matrix. And then the modeling engine will apply the traffic matrix to the topology by converging the model. Got it. So we got, we got a couple of pieces here. So we've got a topology that we're going to define, that we've got a traffic matrix that we're going to define. And PyNTM allows us to, uh, to bring these two together. And, uh, and, and what do I get at the end? Do I get a report? Do I get results? Is there a query engine? Well, let's talk about the query engine later, because that's one of the features I'm considering. But the modeling engine will converge the model. And at the end, you'll have a simulation of the network state. Um, how the network would would be when that traffic is applied to the the network topology. So network state reflects things like uh, traffic paths, interface utilization, RSVP reserved bandwidth, and interface reservable bandwidth. Just everything that describes the network state, Mm -hmm. the model will, will produce. So when you say converge the model, that means I'm taking my traffic matrix data, applying it to uh, the model, and at the end, I'm going to understand, based on this traffic matrix and how it's been applied to this topology, how much traffic is flowing over each link. That's exactly right. But it's intelligent enough to take into consideration what my interface utilization is uh, will end up being, how much bandwidth I've reserved, uh, and so on. Meaning traffic matrix could be uh, a bit of a complex thing, and, and links can have some complex characteristics about them. Yeah, so uh, you touched on two things there. The, uh, the, the traffic matrix, it is a pretty simple object, but getting the information in that object is can be non-trivial. Um, and then, yeah, the the interface, how you would describe an interface as part of the network state, you just, you would describe an interface by uh, its capacity, uh, which is, which is going to be known, but then you'll have percent utilization, the raw amount of traffic passing over the interface. This is part of network state hmm. that the, that the model can tell you. Um, and on a, on a bigger network, understanding that network state becomes non-trivial as well. Okay. So I, I think the next obvious question then is, is, is why? Why this project? Uh, now, historically, I've worked with some, not something that was quite what you're describing here with the model, or it was something that was a little more, I don't know, it was more of a hybrid between uh, modeling and actually simulation where I could do things like, I need to figure out how this checkpoint firewall, if I apply its policy set, uh, will filter traffic if I pump it through. And it wasn't really running a full checkpoint set, but it behaved like it. And, uh, and this thing was expensive, man. This was like a six-figure tool that we bought that could model out the whole network and kind of pretend that we really had, you know, Cisco routers and checkpoint firewalls and whatever else in the mix. Uh, and it was it was a bit hard to use. I, you know what? I might be answering my own question <laughs> about why <laughs> why Pi NTM. So um, so yeah. I, I'll let you go now. Um, th- these I guess my original point was these products have been around for a while. There's a a bunch of them on the uh, on the net uh, available um, from the industry. So what are you accomplishing here? Are you trying to fill in a gap in the market, or is it more like this is open source? So Screw you guys with your big, expensive software packages, or where, where's your head at? You're right. There are commercial solutions available right now that do this network modeling for the wide area network. And this was not made in response to those, meaning that they are lacking. I would say the opposite. The value derived from the commercial network modelers is, is huge, and it will pay for itself very quickly. So it's a great investment. But uh, I did this for, for a couple reasons. Um, one is that the, the modeling capability in these commercial solutions is very mature. It's been around for about 20 years or so, um, but it is a commercial solution, meaning you have to pay money for it. Okay, fine. If that's what you need, then do it. What, what PyNTM is doing, though, it's, it's making the cost of an investment in knowledge in Python so you can use it versus a, a, an investment in dollars. So you can buy it. Additionally, now more networks are having a scaling problem now, and the need for modeling is really great. This is another option in your tool chest. You can buy a commercial solution, or you can go use an open source solution like PyNTM. Another interesting thing that I found is that I think I'm starting to see some new use cases out there. When you put something out there that's free and let it roam around in the wild, mm. 
people will come up with really interesting use cases that you didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of those uh, that I found is um, that I hadn't even thought about is there are some network analytics companies out there that will uh, create traffic matrices for their customers. Awesome. Now you know what your traffic matrix is. Now you can leverage that and run simulations with it because there's an open source solution out there to let you leverage that. Hmm. Uh, I had never considered that use case where you would have a traffic matrix but not a capability to simulate with it. Now you can. Maybe we got to dig into some of those use cases or, or maybe the more general use cases a little bit more. Define it this way, Tim. What, what is the problem exactly that's being solved? And I bring it up this way. You're talking about this from a service provider perspective, I think, to some degree, where a lot of the you know reserving bandwidth and RSVP paths and, uh, and label switch paths and so on aren't something that like an enterprise engineer might deal with all that often. So I can look back at many of the networks I've supported over the years and go, I don't need a model to tell me that when this link goes down, bad stuff's going to happen on the remaining links. You know, I kind of know that intuitively. I don't need a model to tell me that. So frame this for the from the standpoint of the engineer who's really going to benefit from PyNTM. What is the problem that it's fixing for them? Yeah, the problem that it's fixing is architecting, engineering, and planning the wide area network. That is, that is, that is difficult. Um, let's first talk about what's, what's at stake when you're doing that. Um, wide, area, wide area networks are very expensive. You have the equipment, you have the optics, you have recurring monthly circuit costs. If you get your planning wrong, you'll waste money, you'll lose opportunity, you increase your risk, you make customers unhappy or maybe all of these things, which is obviously not not good, is what we say in the industry. And, and when you say wide area network, we're not talking about backhauling a remote office to headquarters. We're talking about some potentially like transcontinental link that's uh, connecting two major pops uh, on this network. Yeah, a wide area network is any network that I, I'd say that just would cover a good amount of distance. It can be a regional network. It can be a you know continental. It can be global. A, you know, network operated by a, a, a service provider or even a, a company that runs a service provider style network mm-hmm. that supports an application, for instance, or a shopping service. So the big deal here is um, simply the expense of these getting it wrong is costly. You don't want to screw that up. And therefore, you're going to put an investment into modeling to make sure the network you're designing is designed appropriately and then ordering the circuits that are going to allow you to realize that design. Yeah, to largest thing. Yeah. And to the problem statement now, when you're looking at a, a, a larger wide area network, even if it's just a regional network, uh, planning that network becomes difficult. Uh, as the network becomes more, call it meshy or just highly interconnected, uh, it becomes more difficult or at least less trivial at scale to understand how traffic's going to transit that network. And then if you throw something called RSVP on top of that, that can make the problem even more difficult to figure out because RSVP, it's a protocol that lets you... Uh, that allows you to use your network more efficiently because it spreads the traffic around more available paths. But the flip side of that is it makes it planning a bit more difficult because it shifts your traffic through different paths throughout the day or week or year. For instance, your traffic from LA to Dallas might take multiple different paths throughout the day as your traffic matrix shifts in response to the different traffic load. As opposed to a typical uh, enterprise network, let's say, that's based on OSPF as the IGP, which is pretty deterministic. And you you might have some ECMP in there, but it's not, you're probably not running RSVP. You're probably not running an LSP where you're laying certain traffic down certain paths depending on certain conditions throughout the day. It just really doesn't change that much uh, on uh, on that more static environment. Uh, yeah, for a network not running RSVP, it becomes easier to understand. But even then, if that network becomes a bit too interconnected, it will become non-trivial at scale to really understand mm. what if something fails? How is my network going to react? Am I exposed to risk? A, a, a WAN that's meshed as opposed to what so many networks are, which is really a hub and spoke, and it tends to not be much more complex than that. 
Yeah, a hub and spoke, uh, Mylene probably won't help you very much because that's very deterministic in how it, it fails over. It's going to probably go one of two directions. If not one, then the other. You probably don't need a model for something like that. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, so let me play devil's advocate even still. So you're describing a, uh, a WAN that is regional or, or national or global, and it's complex. There are a lot of costs to it. There's complexity of protocol. There's complexity of the paths that we end up with. Uh, but still, I could kind of go on my instinct and say, hey, at certain times of the day or the week, this link is pretty saturated. And uh, so I kind of know based on my gut, mm, we got to upgrade that thing. Is that not good enough? So there are those general rules of thumb that people use. But the problem is those are general and they're not based on data. Those rules of thumb are typically based on fear and not really knowing because this can be a complex problem to solve. So if you if the problem is hard to define and it's hard to solve, you're not really sure what to do, you come up with these very, they're called general rules of thumb for a reason, because they're general. They might not apply to you in the way you think they do, or at least to that specific link you're planning for uh, in the way you think it will. So network modeling adds value because it provides real data to help you make a decision. Even if the modeling setup is not perfect, it still adds value because it, for instance, uh, you can at least model out your rules of thumb in certain situations to see if they're valid, which is huge. Now you know, okay, these rules of thumb, they're right for these certain interfaces, for these circuits. You know what? They're not right for this other circuit. Now you've just added value in either scenario. And I also want to just uh, talk about a shift in paradigm that network modeling brings, uh, if I may. You know, a lot of WAN planners, they look at the network as a series of individual interfaces to plan for. I, I track utilization per interface over a thousand interfaces, and that's how I look at it. That is important to do. But one of the cool things about the network model is it lets you look at the entire network as a single entity instead of a collection of hundreds of individual things, especially in a wide area network where you're running RSVP, an event in one area of the network, say New York, can affect your network in a completely different part of the networks like China. Mm. It becomes non-intuitive how some of these failures will work. So the modeling helps bring those to the surface and identify what those are so you can deal with them instead of being shocked when they happen in production and not understanding what's happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's happening in real time, and you're going, "Why? What is going on?" Yes, I'm aware of the failure, but why in the world is that blowing up the network in this other, completely, seemingly unrelated region? But the model would would tell me that. It would clue me in. Aha! We never would have thought of that. I'm glad we caught that before we put this thing into production. Yeah, and you know, one thing about the simulation is it's. I look at it a lot like a flight simulator. Having worked with them for years now, uh, you see some weird things. Um, when you're doing network simulations and you think, oh, the model must be broken, there's something wrong. But when you, f when you really start looking at it, you dig into it, the model's right. You're just seeing a non-intuitive behavior. Hmm. Uh, so running a, running a network modeling solution, it's like a pilot in a flight simulator. You spend time in the simulator to be better in real life. That's what also happens with simulation. You see interesting things in the simulation that would happen in real life so now you're not as surprised, or now you have a better understanding of what might be happening in the moment versus being completely surprised, which a lot of people are when they have outages on their network. Hmm. Why is the network doing this? Why is this happening? No one knows. Everyone's panicking. A cool hand in that situation can really help fix it quickly um, and with knowledge versus guessing and panicking in the moment. Let's press pause on the audio podcast capture engine to talk online IT training. Online IT training from IT Pro TV, our heavy networking sponsor today. A recent MIT study found that IT jobs have grown at more than eight times the rate of other jobs over the past decade. Congratulations, IT professional. You are in the right career. So what do you say? Time to level up? IT Pro TV has you covered. From CompTIA and Cisco to EC Council and Microsoft to VMware and AWS, e even ITIL training. Don't, don't tell Greg. 
More than 4,000 hours of on-demand training is available in the IT Pro TV library. There are engaging hosts that present the information to you in a talk show format, not just a tedious lecture. They're live every day, and the shows go studio to web in 24 hours. Courses are conveniently listed. Category, certification, job role. You can find what you're looking for with no trouble. Stream the entire IT Pro TV library on demand worldwide via Chromecast, Roku, Apple TV, PC, or their iOS or Android apps. Learn IT, pass your certs, get a great job with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash packet pushers for a seven-day free trial and 30% off all plans. Use promo code packet pushers at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash packet pushers and use promo code packet pushers at checkout. One more time itpro.tv slash packet pushers and use promo code packet pushers at checkout to try it free for seven days and save 30% off all plans. Audio podcast capture engine re-engaged and on with today's episode. Well, Tim, I want to dig in now to how PyNTM works, what's going on under the hood and, uh, and get a little more technical and geeky about things. So you've been using these, these, these words, we've talked about network modeling, you've said there's a traffic matrix and a topology, and I, I think I can kind of infer based on the names what those are, but would you define them for us, traffic matrix and topology? Yeah, a, a traffic matrix is describing what traffic is flowing from where and to where on your network. So I have uh, one gig of traffic going from Chicago to Dallas. I have two gigs of traffic going from New York to Washington, D.C. It, it's a simple thing in that it describes a source, a destination, and how much traffic is going from that source to that destination. So a traffic matrix is a result of your BGP policies. And I, I say that because a lot of people, when I'm talking about modeling, say, well, can a network model tell me what if I change a BGP advertisement here? What will happen here? The answer is uh, no, it can't answer that question because BGP, all this stuff, all these edge policies you have, that results in the traffic matrix. That creates the traffic matrix in that after all those policies are applied, you'll have a certain amount of traffic going from New York to Dallas. So, Tim, the way you describe a traffic matrix, it's a uh, a, a result of BGP policies. The network modeler is not taking my BGP policies and doing BGP calculations to figure things out for me. It's just a matrix of literally, it sounds like numbers to me. I've got a source, I've got a destination, and then a number that represents traffic flow between those two endpoints. Uh, so therefore, is it hard for me to create that traffic matrix? It sounds like I, I kind of need to know a bit about my existing network to be able to populate that matrix in a meaningful way. The traffic matrix is, is a big part of this. But to answer your question, if I may, let me just step back a moment and look at the role of the wide area network architect, the planner, or the engineer. So their job is to create, plan, and engineer a network that can transport the traffic matrix. So the traffic matrix is the problem definition. If you don't have a traffic matrix for your network, you don't even know what the problem is that you're trying to solve for. And according to studies, Ethan, which I'm sure exists somewhere, <laughs> if you don't even know what problem you're trying to solve for, the odds that you solve it go way down. So science. So, you know, <laughs> at a minimum, lack of a traffic matrix needs to be brought to upper management because that lack of a traffic matrix carries strategic risk because you don't even know how to plan your network now. So, you know, look, generating a traffic matrix, it's a solvable problem and can be done with people with the correct skill sets and resources. So upper management is part of the solution here. Uh, and if, if they're not part of the solution, that results in a hot mess. So, you know, all that being said, uh, the, the sources for a traffic matrix potentially could include, you know, if you have data sciences in data scientists in house, uh, a marketing group might be able to tell you, yeah, your network needs to be able to transport a max amount of traffic of 10 gig from Dallas to New York. So they might be be able to give you data points in your traffic matrix. Uh, network analytics firms that come in and help companies understand their network, they can maybe produce a traffic matrix matrix for you. Um, 
My buddy Paolo Lucente has a open source project called PMACCT, which processes NetFlow to make a traffic matrix. Again, some commercial modeling solutions will do this for you. And if you need that that bad, if you need a traffic matrix and you can't get it any other way, look at a commercial modeling solution because they'll, they'll be able to produce one for you most likely. Okay. And in some cases, an estimate is maybe adequate. Okay, so we've got these two components here. We're talking about traffic matrix and topology. We've been focused on traffic matrix, which at the end of the day, it's a simple thing conceptually, uh, source, destination, and the amount of traffic flowing between those two points. Um, but maybe a hard thing to actually generate meaningfully so that you're getting useful data out of the, uh, the model. Okay, so that's a traffic matrix. So what then is the topology? So the topology, that is more readily available. The topology is the layer three nodes, you know, things like interface capacity, stuff like that. Your RSVP LSPs, if you're writing that, your shared risk link groups, if you have those, those all comprise the topology in that they will affect or might affect how the traffic will transit the network. It's, Ethan, in a lot of ways, it's like pouring water through a series of pipes the pipes represent the topology mm-hmm. and the water represents the traffic. Changing the pipes will change how the water will flow through the series of pipes. So think of the topology as the pipes yeah, because the it, internet is a series of tubes. It, it, <laughs> well, it, it, it is, as I, as I thought, it is pretty intuitive what that is. Um, it's what any network engineer would think of um, as the topology. It's just represented in a way that is different from, say, GNS3, where you're running a virtual NOS and you connect interfaces together, then you configure them on, on a, it's, it's, but it is similar. It is conceptually, it's, we all have a network topology that we're familiar with and we work with. From what you're describing though, in a network model, it's a bit abstracted where these interfaces and nodes all have uh, characteristics and uh, things that define them so that we understand what happens when we apply the traffic matrix to them, but they are not represented by a virtualized version of the operating system. Right. There's no operating systems in a network model. You're simulating routing and protocol behavior. You're not simulating a CLI behavior. All right. There's another subtle thing here. And uh, those of you that are listening, I think it's a good time to mention that Tim has got some presentations online. Uh, Tim, you did one at Nanog that... uh, uh, explains a lot of what we're talking uh, about today. So you, you, you might be interested to search for that, Tim's uh, Nanog presentation on PyNTM as well. But uh, Tim, one of the points you made in that presentation was, well, let me back up a second. If I create a virtual lab, again, I'm going, <laughs> I keep talking about GNS3. I know, it's, it's, it's where I live. Um, I think in terms of behavior, I make a protocol change. I'm going to observe what happens. Then I'm going to infer what the impact to my real network would be based on that sim- simulation, if you will. You talk about network models in terms of actionable data. It's a, it's a point that comes up in uh, your presentation. Well, what do you mean by this? So what I mean by that is is it's network state. You want to understand, uh, in the end, you really want to understand network interface utilization to determine if you have risk that you're going to become overutilized. Or maybe you're stranding capital because this interface you've built for 100 gigs would never in any any failure scenario you'd care about ever carry more than 20 gigs. Well, now you're stranding capital in that scenario. So a network model is is letting the, the planner and engineer understand the network state, which includes utilization, which includes traffic paths, all that stuff. That is not something you do in GNS3. In GNS3, you're less concerned with traffic, is my understanding, and you're more concerned with... Yeah you know, uh, protocol behavior as it relates to your configuration. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you hit it on the head when you said you know, with, with a GNS3 or EVNG or, you know, Cisco, uh, they don't call it viral anymore, whatever they change the product name to. It, you you can put traffic load on it. You can do that to, 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 to some degree to kind of uh, simulate things. But usually those virtual operating systems are throughput limited anyway because they don't want you using it like a quote-unquote real network. So traffic application to that environment is only useful from a standpoint of is traffic being filtered, is traffic following the path that I expect it to take, but not load. You're not really thinking about load and capacity carrying. Um, what you're talking about is very focused on capacity carrying. Like you made a, a statement a little earlier, like, 
I would never want 20 gigabytes worth of traffic on that link ever, uh, for example. And the model would reveal this to you because, and that goes back in my mind to, to, to the focus here of the traffic matrix. You're really dealing with capacity in this network under a variety of circumstances. You know, GNS3, it's a virtual lab. So you're focusing on how to configure devices. Modeling, let's take a step back and simply ask, given that I have this traffic matrix, that I have traffic to transport across my wide area network, how will that traffic transit the network? What if there's a failure? Where will the traffic go? What if traffic from New York City to DC increases by 30%? Can my network handle it? Those are not the kinds of questions you should go to with GNS3 because that's not the right tool. It's, it's a different tool yeah. for a different job. Yeah. Let's pause today's episode to talk about open source network operating systems. We're at a point where the hyperscalers most of these NASAs were aimed at, they've deployed them at scale, they've knocked off most of the rough edges, and have made them ready for use by a broader number of organizations. The kicker for the average enterprise? Yeah, it's usually support because nobody wants to deploy a NOS of any sort, even an open source one that you can just have without support. And that is where sponsored Dell Technologies comes in. Dell has been working with the open source Sonic NOS since the early days. They've contributed a lot of the code. They know the product well. And if you become a customer of enterprise Sonic distribution by Dell Technologies, they will use that deep institutional knowledge to support your Dell Sonic deployment. All right, fair enough. We got the basics out of the way. You can invest in open source Sonic from Dell and Dell's going to back it and support your company. But why would you go this direction? And the answer is Sonic itself. So three reasons here. One, Sonic is open source and there's a goodly ecosystem that is built around it. There's a lot of action going on around Sonic. Two, there are lots of Switch hardware options from Dell that will run Sonic, including the Dell EMC PowerSwitch Z and S series. You're going to be able to build the data center fabric that you need. Three, the modern Sonic NOS architecture. Sonic is container-based. There is a data center-ready Layer 2 and Layer 3 networking feature set. It's designed for centralized management via REST and GNMI interfaces, although you also get a CLI. And there's Yang support, including open config models. But again, don't forget the other big part of this. This is Dell. You're getting a global organization with depots all over the world and folks on staff that have actually contributed to Sonic code. In other words, Dell is de-risking open source for your enterprise data center. So if you want to find out more, listen to Heavy Networking episode 521, where we get into the details of the features, the upgrade process, L2, L3 capabilities, and more of Sonic. You can also visit packetpushers.net slash dellsonic. That's packetpushers.net slash dellsonic. And that's just a redirect. That's going to take you right to Dell's Sonic landing page. If you do chat with the folks at Dell Technologies about Sonic, please let them know that you heard about it on Packet Pushers, and we thank Dell Technologies for being a sponsor. And now back to today's episode. All right, Tim, so for the Python nerds out there, and you, and you, got, you got a bunch of them in this audience, you're using awesome. something called a Network X under the hood. What is Network X? Uh, man, Network X is my new most favorite thing ever. It's really what makes PyNTM possible. So uh, Network X, it's an open source code base that's really good at finding paths across graph topologies. And we've been talking about topologies. The network is a graph topology. So um, yeah, it, it's really what makes PyNTM possible because it gives you your path information. So this is how you're figuring out um, between these nodes and interfaces how traffic is is flowing. And Network X is the is it a library? Yeah, yeah, it's a Python library. Uh, import Network X, and that that gives you access to it. And so now with that, you can do all the things that you're saying. You're able to calculate uh, utilization and um, uh, traffic on the interfaces. And uh, I, I guess this is where it, you, you would know about label switch paths. Well, so yeah, let me just uh, let, let me back up. So given your network topology, PyNTM will use network X to find all the paths through the network. Yep. Where PyNTM adds value, because right now I'm, I'm just using someone else's software, but PyNTM adds value to the network X path information by building network state around the paths. And that network state is going to reflect IGP, you know, OSPF, ISIS, uh, and RSVP behavior, you know, 
things like interface utilization, uh, equal cost, multiple path traffic splits, uh, reservable bandwidth on interfaces, traffic on interfaces, utilization percent, um, LSP paths. So, so, so network you know. X isn't finding all that stuff. You are, you're using network X yes. to figure out what the paths are through the graph, what's possible. And now you're, yeah. you, you apply constraints, if you will, to the different paths. That's exactly right. Pyantam adds the value by building the network state because path information alone is not modeling. It's just path information. Yeah. And if you take it as modeling, you're setting yourself up to make some, well, that'll be mistakes and we don't want those. So don't do it. <laughs> yeah, but we learn so much from mistakes. I know. I know. <laughs> but it's they also are, nice uh, if we can learn from other people's mistakes. <laughs> right, right. Other people's mistakes and simulations where you can make the mistakes in the model instead of real life. It's awesome to do it in model instead of IRL. Uh, so, uh, okay. So we're talking about Python now. Do I need to actually know Python to use PyNTM? You know, you at least need a basic understanding of Python to, to use it. You know, to that end, I've published some free training PDFs to help walk someone through using PyNTM at the, the Python CLI. Um, there's also examples in my examples directory on the GitHub repository. But in general, as a career move, as a network engineer, as a planner, as anything nowadays, it's going to pay off to learn at least some Python. Oh, yeah. And, and you're not kidding when you say it's, it's a basic capabilities required. You don't have to be some you know, no. super crazy you know, Python nerd to be able to use PyNTM. I watched your demo at the end of Nanog. And, uh, and again, you weren't even writing a script and then saying, okay, Python, run it. You were just living at the Python command line, importing the appropriate bits uh, so that you've got the commands available to you that you need, and then punching in some very readable uh, queries, I guess. I don't know if that's quite the right way to put it, but yeah, some some queries and so on, that and getting data back that it was that straightforward. Yeah, the job of PyNTM is to take the the difficult part and do that difficult part for you, for you, so that you can just make simple API calls to get the information you want from the simulation. Oh, you said API calls. Okay, um, so I don't. Th does that mean I have an alternative to Python, or does that mean from the Python command line I'm I'm doing an API call? From the Python command line, you can you can do an API call, or you can script it. Uh, you can script the action you want to take as well using these these calls, these PyNTM calls. So it's it's really up to you and how you want to do it. Well, all right. Maybe walk through the basis of using PyNTM. I've uh, I've downloaded what I need to download, and kind of going back through your presentation, my memory here. I gotta I gotta load the model. I've got to add the traffic matrix, and then I've got some queries that I could run. Uh, get back data about utilization, demands on the network, and so on. I could, I assume, uh, introduce a failure scenario and then uh, you know get some cool statistics back and stuff. So walk us through. How, I don't know how close I was, but to walk us through uh, using PyNTM. <laughs> no, you're, you're you're very close. You know, a sample workflow might include yeah, loading the loading the model file that includes the topology and the traffic matrix. That's all in one file. So you you, uh, you load that model file. Uh, via a, a Python PyNTM API call, uh, then converge the model, and that'll give you your call it your baseline. Uh, and then you might say, okay, tell me all the interfaces that have over ninety percent utilization. Okay, I have a list of maybe three or four interfaces. Um, actually, just I, I I know that seems like an obvious thing, but actually that's super cool because. When you, it really brings home what the point of the traffic matrix is. Once you've set that up and you apply it to the model, now you can ask how important of a question is it is what you just said. It's it's such a basic thing, but show me all the interfaces that are over ninety percent utilized. Wow, what incredibly valuable information to look to to know uh, from that model without. Now that the network's in production, looking at your monitoring system and getting an alert every day that because uh, things aren't going well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's it's huge. So, you know, and as a capacity planner, uh, a hot link or a link that's above a certain amount of utilization for a certain time becomes something you want to look at. So, in this given simulation, you'd say, okay, yeah, I have four links, so four interfaces over ninety percent utilization. Okay, well, so I might have some risk here. Uh, now, I let's say as a planner, I have a certain amount of a certain set of failures I'm really worried about. 
So now I can run those failures one at a time or in combination through the simulation. Okay, PyNTM, fail the interface from Washington, D.C. to New York. Those interfaces are always hot, no matter who you are. Um, fail that interface. What is going to happen to the rest of my network? Okay, well, now I have three interfaces above 100% utilization. Note that is a problem. And four other interfaces became over 90% utilized. So now I have a new problem set I need to address. I need so to plan for the failure of this link. You just said something that was interesting there. You said, I've got these links that are above 100% utilization. So the model will yeah. tell me not just that we're at 100% utilization, but in fact, we are overutilized, which is the thing you actually want to know. I need to know that this link under this circumstance would be 20% overutilized because this is capacity planning. Yeah, it's capacity planning. So I not I only not only want to know what, you know, that it's a problem. How big of a problem? Well, it's 150% utilized. That's a huge problem. Great. Thanks for telling me. Versus 102% utilized. Well, that's a problem because you're dropping traffic, but it's not as huge of a problem as 150%. So it tells you your risk and the the magnitude of the risk, meaning, yeah, 50% overutilization. That's a big risk. So you can start playing with things in the model. You can even do something like, okay, given this nightmare scenario where DC to New York, that interface goes down, let's say my, you know, at the same time, my traffic from Dallas to Chicago increased by 20% because a major news story broke or something. Now the internet's going crazy. My traffic spiked. Wow. How is that new traffic going to affect my network in this state or any other state. You can game out different scenarios in the simulation before you would even encounter them in real life. So at a minimum, you're not surprised when the network does what it does in, in that hmm. instance. Hmm. When you're using PyNTM to introduce failures, are those essentially API calls? Uh, down this, kill this link, that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. You would converge a model and get a baseline. And then you could say something like, you know, you would interface from DC to New York, select that interface, um, and then say, fail it. And then you would run a, something called a update simulation, which now converges the model around that new topology. It's a new topology because you made a change in that you failed a circuit, or it's a difference because you added traffic. Now converge around that new scenario. Which is what any network does, actually. Yeah, you're Which is what any network does. When there's a change to the topology, you're going to have a convergence event. Now we've got a new network. What's happening? What is life like at that yeah. point? Yeah. 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 You have a new network state. What is that state? What parts of that state don't I like? Overutilization is probably at the top of the list. Mm. Uh, one of the things I noticed in your presentation, Tim, was that modeling ECMP, equal cost multipath, is a challenge. Can you talk through this? Yeah, this one was a bit of a stinker because I ran into it when I was uh, first starting to, to code ECMP behavior. So the unique challenge here is that Network X is giving you end-to-end -end path information. So let's say you have three equal cost paths from A to B in your network. Great, you have three paths. It would be a mistake to say, okay, I have 15 units of traffic. Let me just put five units of traffic on each of those three paths. There you go. You're good to go. That will not work all the time because OSPF and ISIS, they do per hop load balancing, not end-to-end -end load balancing. So the pitfall here is if any of those three paths have common interfaces, your assumption that you should put five uh, units traffic on each of those paths is incorrect. Um, so because, again, in, this, you, made a, you really made an important distinction that I want to highlight because in this WAN modeling world, we are dealing with paths that may have several routers along the path versus an ECMP between like a, a, a pair of switches, let's say, where it's one switch, another switch, and you've got a bunch of paths between them that are parallel. You're dealing with uh, paths that may span multiple devices. And so it's kind of a different animal from a right. from from a graph theory perspective if you have uh, in your path information your paths might be 3 4 5 6 hops long it becomes non trivial to really understand how your traffic's going to transit those paths because there might be some parts where 
two different paths, share a link or two for a certain amount of time, then split back off again. Hmm. Uh, per hop load balancing, which is what your IGP is going to do, is very different from end-to-end load balancing. So you have to take special measures in the code to make sure that you're accounting for IGP behavior in load balancing, and you're not just end-to-end load balancing, because modeling end-to-end load balancing will give you incorrect results in your simulation. So were you able to actually handle this problem in, uh, in PyNTM? Yeah, it's, it's a solvable problem. The big trick was just realizing that it was even a problem to begin with. Uh, it's, it's a non-intuitive problem because you just think, hey, I have my path information, split the traffic among the equal cost paths, good to go. That is the intuitive jump you might make, mm. in which I initially made. That is the incorrect jump. You need to step back and look at how the IGP is going to act and then code that accordingly. Hmm. So there's there is some code there that is dealing with this. There's okay. some code. It, it's, yeah. not, it's not terribly difficult. It's just you have to realize that you need yeah. to account for it. Yeah. Uh, okay, Tim. So I think we've got a pretty good sense of uh, how PyNTM would be uh, usable by by us, what the process would be, and so on. Um, but I got to start somewhere. So how, how do I get started with PyNTM? You mentioned you've got some training online. Uh, is there documentation? Is there a community? Yeah, yeah. So there's a few places you can start. Um, you know, you can look at the repository on GitHub, or you can go to read the docs. If you Google, you know, read the docs PyNTM. You'll, you'll land there. But the code itself contains full, robust doc strings because I want readers to understand what the code is doing. Um, uh, again, I mentioned read the docs, um, that website that has documentation. I have the training modules in a PDF form, which is available on the, the PyNTM repository wiki on GitHub. Um, I also have an examples directory in the repository on GitHub. So you can see in, in real scripts how I've used these calls to get a feel for it. Because it's always a little intimidating to go in and use someone else's code, someone else's uh, Python package, and not really understand how to use it practically. So I give those examples out there. And you know what? If you have a question or an issue, please just open a, a GitHub ticket in the repository, and I'm happy to, to get back to you and a- answer your question or address the problem, make a correction in the code if necessary. Um, and look, if you, want a, if you want a certain feature to be able to be modeled, put that there too. I'll take a look at it and, uh, and, and act on it from there. So uh, I, I, want, I want user involvement. I want community participation in this so I know what is going to add more value. Good. Another thought here has popped in my head. I know there's going to be people that heard us talking about the how you use, how you interface with PyNTM. Ah, you know, you're typing at a, a Python interpreter. Um, this API calls. Um, why that and not the clicky, clicky UI that some people are imagining? Can't I just draw lines between dots on a screen and, you know, right-click the line and say, can't I just do that, Tim? Yeah. Um, so... The the API allows for programmatic simulation capability. So instead of having to click at an at a UI to 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 fail these different things and converge the model and do that for like five or six different scenarios or a hundred different scenarios, whatever you're interested in, uh, the APIs allow you to approach that problem set programmatically, where you can script that planning and simulation process uh, so it's repeatable and consistent as you as you go through it versus it being maybe a little different every time you do it manually. Uh, so you can specify the simulations you want to run, get the data, and then repeat. Now, are there any visualizations that I would get from PyNTM? So, no. Um, that's where we're a bit lacking. I would really, really like it if uh, someone who's good at visualizations could... Uh, could help out and make a, a a visualization component of this because yes, it's a yes, it's designed to be a programmatic and allow a programmatic approach to modeling, but sometimes people like to see colors and pictures and everything. Um, it's why they spend hours on Facebook. It's why all these things because. Well, it, it, it can yeah, be easier in a group I, setting, too. If you're just trying yeah. to explain to someone, look, the, the model yeah. showed us this and this scenario, and you can sometimes get, a, get traction a lot more quickly if you can illustrate it versus trying to explain it with numbers. 
Yeah, yeah visualization pr- tends to provide a, provide a better impact, especially when you're presenting upward. So yeah, that is a part where I would love some community participation to to get a to get a visualization mm. um, for the data because the data is important. The visualization can help bring that out. Uh, I would love some help in that area if anyone's out there. Well, okay. So it sounds like you are very open to collaboration here with PyNTM development. Uh, we've mentioned you're looking for someone that could uh, work on visualization. Are there other things you would like uh, folks to work with you on for the to develop PyNTM? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm always looking to improve the performance of PyNTM. And, and by performance, Ethan, I mean, how long does it take for the model to converge? Uh, because with as with a network, with a bigger model, it's going to take longer for it to converge. And no one likes to wait for their data. So no some one. smarty pants so, out there just said, so why'd you write it in Python? But <laughs> Yeah, well, okay, let's put a pin in that, smarty pants, because I have an answer for that. Uh, but uh, but no, there, there's a good reason for that as well. But uh, yeah, the, the performance improvement is something that I, I'm always looking to, to work on. Mm-hmm. Because as you add more features to PyNTM, it's going to take a little bit longer to converge a model every time as the new features are accounted for. So I'm always trying to squeeze more performance out of it. And in the most recent build out there, version 2.0, for RSVP, which is actually very expensive to model, I squeeze out an improvement of around 18 to 23%, depending on what you're doing, uh, speed increase for RSVP convergence, which is, that sounds really nerdy, and it is, but it's huge. Um, another uh, performance improvement that I've uh, validated is use of the PyPy interpreter. So there's Python 3, the language, then there's Python 3, the interpreter. Yep. Um, running PyNTM through the PyPy interpreter is huge. I've seen about a 60 plus percent performance improvement from the PyPy interpreter. Um, yeah, and so now I'm pre-compilations that are going on that give you optimizations. As I recall, I just listened to a podcast uh, from the talk Python folks that got into the weeds on some of this, how you extract better performance from Python and, and PyPy came up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And I don't know all that's happening under the hood, but I've seen the effect and it is pronounced and it's huge. So now I've made a change um, in my unit testing where I'm running uh, in addition to run it through the a couple of Python interpreters, I'm running it through the PyPy interpreter now to make sure you can use PyPy and get the good performance and not lose any of the uh, the features available in PyNTM. And it's passing, so I'm really excited about that because that's going to open up a lot of performance for the users and and have a better user experience for them. So visualizations, performance improvements, um, uh, what else are you looking for uh, developers to collaborate with you on? Um, You know, I would like uh, feedback from the users. Um, And whether that feedback comes in the form of, you know, opening up up an issue on GitHub or just reach out to me on LinkedIn or wherever, I want to know how users are using it. What are you using it for? Is it just IGP? Is RSVP involved? How big is the network you want to model? Is it tens of nodes, dozens of nodes? You know, more than that. Are there ten thousand LSPs? Are there twenty thousand, or are there twelve? How big is your traffic matrix? I just want to know what you're using it for, so I can better add value where it's most needed. Hmm. And uh, being a developer right now, I don't have that feedback is that I want. So that is very much appreciated from the community. Well, one last thing then, Tim. Um, where are we at with PyNTM today? What's the current version, features, and then uh, roadmap? Where are we going next? So let's start with where we're at today. Yeah, where we're at. Um, version 2.0 came out a few weeks ago. That's the one that gave you the increased RSVP performance. Uh, just prior to that, uh, I released version 1.6, which, which allows uh, multiple links between the nodes. Um, so right now, Ethan, we have uh, IGP routing, we have RSVP auto bandwidth LSPs, uh, RSVP fixed bandwidth LSPs, shared risk link groups, um, and you can also, uh, on the RSVP front, you can specify a certain amount of bandwidth you want reser- to be reservable on that interface as well. 
Um, that is the, that's the feature set right now. Which is uh, roadmap. Which is pretty robust, yeah. but but yeah, there's more. So right, let's get into the roadmap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that feature set it's 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 very basic, but it's it's out there. People are doing that. Some people have networks that is no more than that. Uh, so that's great. But I know there's more. Um, IGP shortcuts is an RSVP feature that uh, that I'm working on right now. That's going to come out in version two point one. Um, that allows uh, just IGP traffic to transit RSVP LSPs along the way. Um, uh, t- uh, topology independent loop-free alternates is something I'm looking at doing. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be a fun one to code. Does it add value? I don't know. That's why I want. Yeah. yeah. It, it, how many it, it people? Comes up. Yeah. Yeah. It comes up. It's cool to do, you, you know, but is it helpful? I don't know. So I want feedback on that. Um, another thing I'm looking at doing is, uh, you know, Converging the model, creating the simulation provides a huge amount of data, huge. Um, and the we're not retaining all that data. But one of my thoughts is, hey, add an SQLite database object into the model itself, store all this data, and make the model queryable via, via SQL. Um, that's cool. Is it helpful? I don't know. But please, if you have a thought on that, do let me know. Um, so you know, that's any input from users is, is very much appreciated at this point. Yeah. That, that SQL database and, and holding all of that data is only interesting if people are going to use that data. Cause if they're not, and yeah. it's not interesting to them, then what was the point of retaining it and R- right, right. and all of that? So, yeah. Besides I can say I coded it, but yeah. you know, eh. Well, Tim, you've asked several times for for input from folks. So if folks want to contact you, what's the best way that they can do that? I mean, you've mentioned GitHub, but what else have you got? Yeah, so um, you know, I uh, LinkedIn is a great way to reach out to me. Um, if you want to get in touch or, or connect, I'm happy, especially if you're using PyNTM, I'm happy to connect with you and start a conversation with you over how you're using it. Uh, I do have a... Uh, a personal website that I blog on called locksfoils.com, which is just, it's a personal website discussing networking and automation, other nerdly topics, my worldly observation. It's just a, it's just kind of a fun read mixed with some technical stuff in there as well. Um, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier. I, I'm, I'm con- going to be contributing semi-irregularly to the AP Nick blog. Yeah. Um, I've written one article for them already on Pi and TM. I'm going to write another one that's pending on uh, understanding the, as a network engineer, what should I think of network automation? Is it a threat to me? What is the landscape around it? Um, I'm going to address those questions in, in the upcoming blog post, which is probably going to be published sometime in June. And then I'm hoping to uh, to contribute to some other websites as well. Um, I'm starting to, to put the feelers out to see if there's any other websites that would like me to start blogging for them. Well, very cool. Maybe we should talk about packetpushers.net uh, before when we're I done would this love recording. to. Yeah. I would love to contribute. All right. Um, okay. And for those of you listening, we've referred to some of Tim's presentations and so on. Uh, th- there's a bunch of links that will be included at the show notes at packetpushers.net. Uh, so you can just click right through and go on to Tim's Nanog session, some of the PDFs that we've referenced, uh, the training material, uh, the AP Nick blog that we've mentioned. And, uh, and, and Tim, I'm seeing a book listed here uh, this week, Deploying MPLS. Uh, when it looks like yes. one of those day one books from Juniper. Yeah, yeah. It was, I wrote it back and it was 2011 or 2012. But uh, yeah, I was uh, honored to be uh, that they accepted uh, the idea from myself and my co author, Jamie Panagos, to write a book. And this was for Juniper Networks um, when I was employed by them. Hmm. And yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a, it's a walkthrough how to deploy MPLS, but also how does MPLS works, you know, RSVP work? What is the mechanics? What are the mechanics around it? Because, uh, you know, it's one thing to deploy it. It's one thing to really understand how it works. So we cover both. And then we cover the value proposition, the services you can turn up on MPLS. Yeah, um, it's all funny, that is covered uh, in the book. Uh, when you start with MPLS as a, as a network engineer and you get introduced to it, you, you go through the layers of, of standing it up and so that now you've got this MPLS uh, network. But that's just the beginning. Then there's once you begin running those apps on top of it, it gets so deep so fast. Yeah, MPLS is a 
it's a it's a bag of snakes uh, in in one respect that <laughs> yeah. uh, it's kind of cool to have a bag of snakes, but wow, just make sure you understand what you're you're doing with it. <laughs> Well, Tim, it's been great to have you on the show today, chatting with us about PyATM. It was really great. And again, yeah, get in touch with Tim if you're interested in this uh, project and want to either work with it, work with him. Um, It's good stuff here, and it's all open source. Tim's got no ulterior motive. He's not going to uh, sell this and make $5 million uh, tomorrow. (laughs) It's all just intended for the community to, uh, to open up what network modeling can offer to the world. A little bit of housekeeping for you out there. We have a Slack channel. Packetpushers.net slash Slack will give you the rules and give you the link so that you can join that Slack group. It's free. You can do that. Interact with the community. We also have a newsletter, the Human Infrastructure Magazine, Packetpushers.net slash newsletter. Sign up for it. It's free. We don't sell your information to anybody or anything like that because that would suck. Uh, but we share information like I had a link in there one week recently about PyNTM, for example, to help you discover things that make you better at what you do. All the rest of our technical podcasts, along with our community blog, that's, again, PacketPushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at PacketPushers. We are, of course, on LinkedIn. We got something going on Facebook. I think it's all automated, but we're over there if you insist on using Facebook. Uh, if you have a few minutes and could rate us on Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate that. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.